0: I'm Katie, I'm
1: Vinny, and this is Learn Real, Real Good.
0: Good. Coming to your neighborhood. <laughs> oh. Uh, 92. What was your radio station that My you My radio up with?
1: station that I loved was 990 Hits. Is that uh, still exist It was an AM station. No, no, it's long gone. A. M. It was AM, like right at the tail end before everyone switched. Then it switched to 95.9, the mix.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: But it was like, you know, top 40 radio friendly stuff.
0: Uh, our our radio station of choice was Q92.7 FM, Rock oh. Radio. <laughs> Played a lot of dad rock, as oh, it was yeah. called in the day.
1: But that was, I'm assuming, because your dad controlled the radio in the car.
0: Oh, we all would... Ch- Honestly, we would all choose it. There was one other channel, oh. and it was like the Michael Bolton FM channel. You know, it's all soft, <laughs> adult. soft
1: adult contemporary pop.
0: <laughs> Those were the two options, and I don't think we had an AM station to the point where, okay. as a kid, playing with my little radio and going through all the numbers, yeah. and you have like, like three radio stations, like the two stations I mentioned, and like some uh, religious station, okay. and then nothing on AM. So I was like, "What is this oh, AM? <laughs> the other M."
1: Montreal is terrible radio. Oh. It's really dire. Pretty dire. Yeah, we have like a very poor choice of, of it. like CKUT. I think it's probably the, the yeah. university station is probably the best uh, choice here. But
0: I participated in college radio, as you know. Yes, in, as did I, Katie, as you university. know. You did Dawson College Radio. Yes, though, correct. Right? Okay, so does that reach beyond the campus? No. <laughs> <laughs> Ours was citywide, baby. No, all right, all right. Citywide. You were a big deal. I was not a big deal, but I had a, a heavy metal radio station that had a fair amount of listenership, because again, very limited options, and uh, I would get CD discounts.
1: Oh, that's the reason you did they it. Because I knew
0: uh, I was a radio show host. No, it made me feel pretty cool. That was yeah. the cool notoriety.
1: It's pretty great. That's a pretty good fact about you.
0: But this isn't a podcast about radio shows. All right, so
1: let's talk about radio shows <laughs> that we It's a that podcast
0: hosted. about science I love and th- comedy. comedy. We start by wi- doing what, Vinny? What's the beginning we, of the like,
1: show? We do a little bontaire. <laughs> um, which we've done. Check.
0: Yes, check.
1: And then we exchange some science, science facts fact. before we get to the good stuff, which is our guest, guest coming up.
0: Yes, they they bring the knowledge. They
1: bring the deets.
0: They put an end to this unrelenting <laughs> goofiness.
1: All right. So well, We should swap science facts so we can get to our guest.
0: Okay, then. Who's first? Who's on first?
1: Uh, I can go first. Go, Vinny. How do you like this fact?
0: Whoa. That's how you should <laughs> introduce your facts.
1: All right, so... This one, this is hot goss. Uh, a paper came out in Nature. Immediately controversial. Immediately. Immediately controversial. So a study came out saying that they believe that there was a population collapse down to 1,000 precursors to humans. Like the uh, 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 about roughly 800,000 years ago. Yeah, I saw this. They said that the whatever precursor to human it was, it's not like homo sapiens and it's like frogs this is a long time ago. yeah some hu- human frog hybrid was walking around <laughs> before they diverged into frogs and humans was walking there was a hundred thousand of them and this paper says there was a 100,000 year uh, extreme cold period mm-hmm. that dropped the population down to just roughly 1,000 individuals wow just enough to stave off extinction and rebuild a the population. There is some
0: cannibalism. Let's be honest.
1: I mean, if you're hungry and it's cold, they're preserved. So,
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. So what they did was they. This is you know this many unproven. They used a lot of kind of assumptions and novel ideas Sounds to like good make these uh, uh, conclusions. But the idea is they looked at DNA variability mm-hmm. and as you know, assume that the correlation between the more variability you have within a certain sequence of like genes that cover a thing that still does the same thing within populations. And they looked at 3000 people across Africa, Europe and Asia. And the idea is the more variability you have within these genes, the larger the population, which because, you know, if you have fewer people, the variation gets smaller. If you have lots of people, the variation can be larger. And you can also have a clock on when some of these genes appeared in our genome. And so, the clock for around 800,000 years ago, there's surprisingly little mm-hmm. variability for something that you would assume has been around and mutating and developing and, and, and becoming variant uh, over those 800,000 years. Surprisingly little variance, which means that in theory, there was a very small population who was passing on these genes at that time. And so, the idea is. And they can try to correlate it to an actual number of people. And so the idea is we went from 100,000 people to 1,000 people. And I use the term people loosely because I don't know that we would recognize them as Homo sapiens. They, again, precursors to even Neanderthals. And hmm. maybe part frog, according to Katie.
0: Well, I'm the biologist. So this is
1: interesting that um, you know, wow. we, may, we came, may have come very close to extinction at a certain point in our history.
0: Wow, and will again.
1: And we'll we're gonna try it part two.
0: We'll be the top one thousand. What do <laughs> yeah. you think?
1: Uh, probably, you know what I you know people who have a lot of money are like banking on like having these underground bunkers. But I think it's just gonna be some schmo who oh, lives yeah. in the woods for sure. Like doesn't care, just has their own source of water. And it's like, had no clue that any of this happened and survival skills. I think they're going to matter. Yeah. If you have social skills, you're like, Hey, you're like a decent person and you live in the woods alone. Maybe you find, you know, someone to hang out with, have a few babies. You live near someone else who also has this They, They, your kids and their kids have some babies. Maybe you know we maybe you know maybe there'll be a thousand of us. Then thought
0: about this. He has a plan. I have
1: a plan to make some babies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, wish we would have talked about this, Vinny, But uh, good for you. Interesting fact. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting that you come from uh, the world of the the living because you usually bring us some physical science. Yeah, yeah. But this is this is hot hot news that just dropped, Uh,
1: Uh, and it is extremely controversial. Uh, People are really disputing a lot of the assumptions made. Yeah. So we'll see. Who knows if it pans out? Who
0: knows? Out. It Who could all be phony news? baloney.
1: That's science. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Katie.
0: Well, okay. Um, Vinny, Katie? Have, you, have you heard of Ozempic?
1: Ozempic. Oh, that's that drug you see commercials for.
0: Yeah. Do you have any idea what Ozempic was first used
1: for? What, first? So I know that it's being prescribed for people as a weight loss, potential weight loss, anti-obesity drug.
0: Correct. It's not its primary. That wasn't its what
1: kind of like Viagra was not its totally. primary use. It was a heart and yes. blood pressure control.
0: It did not work for that. No, it but, but it had a
1: like a wild side effect. <laughs> a
0: Far more profitable side effect. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so, Ozempic. Uh, let's see. I guess if it was, uh, it's being used to control obesity. Then it was probably for something like, you know, kidney failure or some totally random <laughs> gallbladder ejection. So
0: it's not so far from okay. it. It's for uh, diabetes. Oh, okay. So it's like this amazing, very useful medication for diabetes. But they also noticed that it had this side effect that for people in certain parts of the world is uh, also an issue that is treating obesity. Mm-hmm. So it's like this. They don't want it to be called a wonder drug. Right. But it has fairly few side effects. And it's not, you know, something that's like taking, you know, speed or fedrin or something like that. <laughs> sure. Another common
1: cure for obesity.
0: <laughs> well, some people did that sure. to stay on, you know, if your heart's palpitating and spending all that energy, that's one way to get rid of it. So what it seems to do, and it's still it's not a super old medication so we're still kind of understanding exactly what's happening but it affects your brain more than anything else really and you just don't obsess about food anymore
1: wow so
0: a lot of people eat you know emotional eating you know you're just thinking of food you're bored right that's that's what leads a lot of us to, to eat and what does that make you think you know people's relationship with food when they have an unhealthy relationship what does that sound like another affliction common to humanity
1: Uh, Like a psychological thinking about
0: food can't help eating more food.
1: Uh, ooh, like a beaver who can't stop chewing down (laughs) trees. That's what makes (laughs) me think of humans. 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 Oh, humans. humans. Okay.
0: What is another thing that we get? Sort of addiction. Addiction. Other addictions. I mean you could argue that this is a a lot of this comes from food addiction. So they've started to explore these drugs. So Ozempic is one of a couple ones. There's another one called Wegovi. Okay. It kind of looks like We Groovy. We Groovy and Ozempic, um, they're a type of drug called semiglutide.
1: Semiglutide. Semaglutide. is the name of the drug. Okay.
0: Um, and it's been shown recently, hot, hot new study yes okay in mice and rats that it helps with alcohol addiction. Oh, wow.
1: I so mean, it- <laughs> I those bars are filled with mice and rats. <laughs> Just drinking away their problems.
0: <laughs> I mean, if I lived like a rat, I think I'd be drinking. <laughs> sure. I'm gonna be honest. Um, so what they did was sadly, I mean, you know, research. I right. mean, how are you, you gonna have to how are you gonna figure this out?
1: You gotta get first you gotta get the rats hooked on booze. Correct. Yeah.
0: Correct. So they had to get a bunch of alcohol addicted rodents. And then they would treat them with these drugs and they would just choose not to drink. And kind of kind adorable, kind of, amongst the different alcohols would also choose less the high caloric ones. Okay. So they would they Would curb back their alcohol intake uh-huh. but also stay away from the sugary drinks, right? You got the it's... Coors Light, <laughs> yes, <laughs> they would go for the Coors Light low carb, yeah. um, because they're also, uh, the drug also makes them want to uh, consume less calories. Wow, yeah, so so there's this whole area, and as you know, drugs for treating, yeah, addiction are tricky and have not been super successful, and so they're they're. Optimistic that it may help with things like opioid addiction and alcohol addiction, which of course are 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 really tough. Which is interesting because it's just it's just your brain. And like the side effects your brain. No, but like attacking the brain attacking the brain. What's happening here? (laughs) It's just your brain.
1: We're attacking it. No,
0: (laughs) it's interesting to pursue having a drug address your thoughts being the route to success for things like addiction. Right. You just stop obsessing about it. It makes it much easier for things like willpower to actually succeed.
1: For sure. Right? I, it, I mean, our brain is just a big chemical computer. So if you can throw chemicals in there to like hack at it, yeah. you're in the in the system, man. You could kind of rewrite it through chemicals.
0: Yeah. And it's not that there's no side effects. For some people, it doesn't work. For some people, the side effects are like IBS. Sure. <laughs> but it's like, OK, I'll take the runs if it right. you know fixes my some people, it
1: turns you into a rat.
0: Well, yes, but that's very rare because
1: they start off as a rat, probably
0: as a Coors drink, Coors chugging. drinking
1: rat. <laughs> that's the next commercial. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so interesting. We'll see, uh, we'll see how that we'll works. See how it this goes. may become this, you know, this wonder drug that we're all taking with our multivitamins. So yeah, vitamin stay, C, some cod thin. liver
1: oil, and some semaglutides.
0: But because it's so good for weight loss, okay, uh, there's shortages.
1: Oh really? It's in high demand.
0: It's like exploded over the summer. All this like celebrities and rich people who are doing it as a really, you know, instead of having your stomach
1: pumped, stable, right.
0: pumped. <laughs> that's not what they. Well, that's do, what I do. <laughs> you know, having that that intestinal that, that that stomach surgery, gastric bypass. Yes, that's what it's called. Or other more in- invasive drugs, right? People are doing it like chiclets over there to stay thin with zero effort.
1: Chiclets. <laughs> the gum, the go-to gum of choice. <laughs>
0: there are no thrills. Ooh, they're pretty the good. soap gum. They're oh, well, that's good.
1: fascinating. Yeah, I guess the it's a hot new thing.
0: Yeah, everyone wants it, but for pe- it's really sad for people with diabetes.
1: Well, but. we don't care about them.
0: <laughs> Vinny, take that back, please. Okay. We absolutely we care, care about you. I'm, I'm sorry. For 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 one, we are not taking Ozempic. No. Okay. We are no. Eating our candy and keeping it. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and everyone with diabetes. I hope you find some other cure that is less profitable to other people treatment yeah <laughs> treatment
0: yeah. <laughs> all right well that's enough out of us <laughs> enough non-facts out of us it's time for us to invite our guest to join us and i have the distinct pleasure of welcoming our guest this week which is lean Boj. lean Boj is currently a master student in neuroscience at mcgill university her research focuses on investigating the effects of cannabis use on depression and anxiety symptoms mm. in her free time lean loves hiking with her dog and baking welcome to the show lean Bosch. hi thank you so much for having me <laughs> hey
1: thank you to for have being
0: you. here we're talking about the brain already yeah
1: yeah we're talking about the brain hacking the brain <laughs>
0: So, as a neuroscientist, my good heavens, cannabis. We've had one guest uh, yeah, talking about cannabis. to
1: improve athletic performance.
0: Yes.
1: And so now, it's a whole other field.
0: <laughs> Let's start by talking about what does the cannabis
2: do to our brains? Oh, that's a
1: <laughs> yeah, whole easy. thesis. First, we'll start with an easy question.
2: <laughs> it's hard to answer because we don't know as much as we would like. Wow. Love. Um, So it binds to to cannabinoid receptors, so the very famous ones are CB1 and CB2, so CB stands for cannabinoid. (laughs) CB1, the receptor, it's everywhere in the brain, one of the most uh, ubiquitous receptors in the brain. Uh, So THC binds to that. And um, beyond that, it it gets very tricky. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, Sure. And why do we have cannabis? So
0: if we have receptors specifically for cannabinoids, it suggests to me that we evolved consuming them. Like where are the cannabinoids in our environment? Other cannabinoids?
2: Well, we have endocannabinoids so those are actually right. cannabinoids that circulate in our body which also bind to cannabinoid receptors and actually a little fun fact they were discovered because of cannabis research so <laughs> yep that's that's why they're named um endocannabinoids um, so
1: we make them ourselves
2: yes we all have them and they're very important in a stress regulation and Huh. Uh, yeah, they have different roles, but they're very big in stress regulation. So they bind to cannabinoid receptors.
0: What if I take a drug test at work and they, they're they going to see I'm positive for endocannabinoids and think I'm doing drugs, right? But you're just stressed. Or
1: for Katie's case, her regular <laughs> level of stress.
0: Is that going to happen, And That's why we had you here. I have a drug <laughs> test tomorrow. I'm worried about my endocannabinoids.
2: It will happen because drug tests will measure well THC or its metabolites. Um, one interesting thing about drug tests and cannabis is that cannabis can stay in your body for 28 days, which Whoa. is very, very long. So you can still be positive for cannabis, even if you haven't used it in a month. Wow.
1: Why does this take so long to break down?
2: Because it lives in the fatty tissue, very different from other drugs. And so it takes very, like a very long time for it to be uh, Completely out of the body, 28 days, yeah.
1: If we, is your studying, looking at like uh, cannabis consumption in a specific way? Like, or just general cannabis consumption? Is it like smoking, edibles, uh, or other ways of ingesting it?
2: We do recruit participants who use cannabis in anyway we are very careful to ask them a million questions about how much they use when they use it how many times per day Mm. percentage of thc all of that we record all of that information and that helps us get an idea of their habits and their patterns of use one thing that our participants do have in common is um, more problematic cannabis use we call that a cannabis use disorder Mm. which some symptoms involved involve a cannabis dependence so that for instance, tolerance, craving, um, things like that. And then other symptoms involve just problematic cannabis use, like using cannabis in risky situations. So things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Whoa. And have you ever pulled the joke when, you know, people come in for the cannabis study and say, I'm a cop, you're busted. Do you ever pull that joke? <laughs> and do, and how do people respond to it? It seems
1: unprofessional.
2: <laughs> I haven't pulled that joke, but I have had participants be worried that we might bust them. I want to be sure. That is not what I'm here to do. Also,
1: cannabis is legal in Canada.
2: Hey, I didn't say it was a
1: good
0: joke. (laughs) yeah so so this lab you're working in is it is it focused just on cannabis or is that a main research focus and how has that exploded with the legality of it like did it not exist before
2: it's just a whole lot easier mm-hmm. it definitely is a lot easier so we don't give our participants cannabis we just recruit people who are currently using cannabis so that right. big difference in how easy it is to research our lab um, is an addiction and mental health lab right now we are focused mm-hmm. on cannabis and nicotine slash tobacco my research though focuses on cannabis, um, but I have some colleagues that look at co-use. So nicotine and cannabis co-use and how that might impact the brain and everything like that.
1: So what kind of questions are you asking of them?
2: Oh, you ask everything. So we um, I'm focused on mental health. So I look at depression Mm -hmm. and anxiety symptoms, but we also do MRIs. We also take blood withdrawals. So we look at endocannabinoid levels. Um, Not a lot of research on that. There needs to be more, so we're making Mm -hmm. that happen. Uh, We look as well at cognition, so that includes memory, impulse control, theory of mind, things like that. And so uh, we are looking at everything (laughs) as much as we can, really.
1: Now, you said theory of mind. I have no idea (laughs) what that is. What the hell is that? What is a theory of
2: mind? Whoa. (laughs) All the psychology students, I'm sure will know, but that's a great question. So theory of mind is something we kind of get when we grow up. It's our ability to understand that other people think differently than we do. So for instance, let's say I hide a doll in a box and then I leave the room and then someone else moves the doll in a different box. Let's say you're an observer. You saw that person move the doll in a different box and then you're asked, where would I come and look for the doll? you'd say, well, in the box, I left it. And even though the doll isn't here yet, and that's kind of, that's one way mm. to test children for their theory of mind. Uh-huh. Um, so that's the way we understand that people might not have the knowledge that we do and think differently. Yeah, that's something we acquire Whoa. develop, yeah.
0: And and I mean, this is interesting. So what's your backstory lean with dolls that you're, putting, you're hiding dolls in boxes? Like what's <laughs> happening there? Some, some deep-seated Barbie issues? <laughs>
2: Oh, gosh. No, that's just a classic example of all learning in psychology. One hundred and one. You're, really, you're really coming the after box. the
1: psychologist here.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> classic doll in a coffin. Classic doll in a coffin. Okay, and MRIs. So, so what do the MRIs show you? Are you are you just sort of looking at this? If you use more cannabinoids this part of your brain lights up less that's that sort of stuff
2: yeah so we look at that light up is more functional so looking at yeah different parts of your brain when they're activated and then we also look at structural so that's literally the size um things like that so um, we look at both and i'm not using that data so i'm not as knowledgeable but there are differences so for instance Hmm. if you quit cannabis for 28 days we do see improvements in your brain physically which is really cool Yep. Hmm. Whoa. Yeah, all right.
1: Like, what is an improvement in someone's brain? Look Gets like? bigger,
2: bigger brains. No, s- smaller brains. <laughs> Better theory Tyler. of mind.
0: You can find the doll instantly. You, can find, you know exactly where the doll is. <laughs> no matter what, a thousand boxes, you'll know. I know exactly where the doll is. <laughs> well, How about we let her answer?
2: <laughs> one great example is so you remember I mentioned cannabinoid receptors, CB1. Mm-hmm. So when you use cannabis for a really long time and very often, you actually have less of them. So that can be a problem. Uh-huh. We call that down regulation. Just after 28 days of cannabis abstinence, so you quit cannabis for 28 days, cold turkey, you actually have more cannabinoid receptors, so you go back to normal. So that's an example of an improvement is having that level of cannabinoid receptors in the brain go back to normal after quitting cannabis. Fascinating. And I would imagine that has
0: something to do with like regulation of gene expression. Your body's like, whoa, I have 10 receptors, but a crap ton of this <laughs> cannabis stuff. Let's cut back the receptors. We'll stop making so many to get these levels back down. Is it something like that?
2: I'm not quite sure. I think the research is still, it's still young. It's—it These are things that tend to be harder to research and harder to, those questions tend to be harder to. Answer. Yeah,
1: it sounds like Katie knows it. <laughs> no, I'm just, yeah, yeah, just I re- like to
2: anthropomorphize
0: yeah, yeah, my yeah. receptors. Just
1: publish your paper, Katie.
0: <laughs> no, it, it usually ends up being something intuitive like that. I'll publish it. <laughs> <laughs> nature, maybe, Na- Yeah, nature. Yeah. Now you're looking at how cannabis affects anxiety and depression symptoms. Are there particular symptoms that it's better at? Uh, reducing? Oh,
2: that's, I'm so glad you asked that question so that I can... Nailed it. Got my, it. Got the good question. My research. So there's a very big, big, big understanding in Canada that cannabis helps anxiety and depression. This is a very common belief. Hmm. So last year in 2022, 48% of people believed that their cannabis use helped their mental health.
1: Wow.
2: 8% believed that it hindered it. Now, huh. what's interesting is that in literature, we actually find that cannabis might, and this is a big word, I hate using it, but in my cause, the actual terms that we're using is maintain, precipitate, and worsen symptoms of anxiety and depression.
1: Okay. So what I'm
2: looking at is, what if you quit cannabis for 28 days, What happens to your symptoms of fighting depression? Do they Mm -hmm. improve? Do they stay the same? Do they worsen? That's what we're trying to understand.
1: That's a big question. It's
2: an important question. Yeah. For sure. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Are there certain symptoms that seem to be more triggered or relieved by it? Or like across the board, all the top 20 symptoms of depression and anxiety can be affected?
2: I know with um, with depression, um, well, for one, research is showing that there's more of that effect with depression than anxiety. So it seems like mm. cannabis might worsen symptoms of depression more than anxiety. Mm. One symptom of depression that's also its own disorder as well as suicid- suicidality, which also mm-hmm. seems to be involved in this as well. So we do see higher rates of suicidality as well. And this might be like a temporal association where you use cannabis and then you feel this way rather than the opposite. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, so how are people so wrong? They're like taking it and half of people are like, this is helping me so much, man. But then the literature is saying like, no, it's making it worse. Like how, is it like maybe doing both or we don't know what's happening there?
2: There's a few theories. One of um, my own kind of understanding is this idea of medicinal cannabis is everywhere. But I don't think we're doing a good enough job at explaining what medicinal cannabis is, what its roles mm. are. So when people hear medicinal cannabis, they don't know what it does and they notice that they feel a little bit better when they're high, it kind of reinforces that idea that, well, maybe cannabis helps with anxiety and depression. Another factor as well is withdrawal symptoms. A very common withdrawal symptom of cannabis addiction is anxiety and depression. If you Mm -hmm. hold something and you feel worse, you might be inclined to think, well, maybe that thing was helping me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh boy.
1: And so what do they mean when we say medicinal cannabis?
2: So cannabis has been researched in medicinal context for nausea appetite in the context of cancer. It's also been very recently approved as an epilepsy treatment. Oh um, wow. Yep, in by the FDA in the United States. But in the context with epilepsy, it's um pure CBD. That's at least my what I read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not my field, so Please don't quote me on that, but but I've read, yeah, so it's recently been approved for epilepsy. It has not been approved for anxiety or depression. Hmm.
0: And you hear about a lot of medicinal cannabis for cancer. Mm -hmm. So is that just because it's really good? compared to other medications especially good at reducing pain like how does it how does it help someone with cancer medicinal cannabis
2: mm. I know it helps with uh, appetite and nausea mm. so that's right. uh, that's one of its use ah, right a lot of why it's prescribed it's also researched as an anti-inflammatory agent as well so there's loads of research now on it as well not my field as much cannabis is such a wild field yeah it's sure. a big yeah. field yeah <laughs>
1: and so how are you checking to see like what the effects are like do you you put them in the mri machine you ask them questions what's the like the methodology here
2: so for my own research, I ask them questions. So I um, we use structured interviews or self-report questionnaires to get a sense of their um, symptoms. So these are all validated measures, which means that they've been used loads of times. We know how they work, and we're able to quantify their symptoms. So give them a score, like you have a score of six on the depression scale type of thing, and then we compare those. Mm-hmm. Is there any concern when you're, when you're having... I mean, I can't imagine the
0: things you have to deal with when you have people self-reporting. So you're self-reporting people who are currently taking or have stopped taking a drug that was recently made not illegal and checking to see like, if it's good for them basically so is there concern about people being like oh i feel amazing when i'm on the weed right. lady <laughs> publish that weed's good for me so mom will buy it for me is there any concern that people sort of falsify Wait, my mom is gonna buy it for me? <laughs> that people sort of falsify it to make it look good like or how do you deal with you know issues of self-reporting
2: we built a lot of trust with our participants i actually Mm. see them twice a week for a month there's lots of trust our questions are also framed not they're not specifically asking how they feel when they feel high but rather how they feel in this moment or in the past week Mm. and so it more centers on their mood in general rather than their mood in a certain instant Um, so that's how we're able to give a little bit more accurate results that aren't biased
1: report Said collection. Discrepancy straight lined, Moth said. Meet Moth. Moth travels everywhere and every when in search of, often deadly, discrepancies and tries to make sense of the briefs she gets from collection. There were holes in the brief, you know. I don't like that. The Moth Collection podcast. It's science fiction with a little bit of horror. It's weird and funny and romantic, and there won't be another season. 14 episodes, and that's it, people. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by Podcavern. Yeah, and this sounds really tightly linked with, like, psychology. Mm. Uh, And so you're studying neuroscience. Like, it sounds like a huge overlap. Like, is there, like, a collaboration between the fields? Do you have to become an expert in psychology yourself? Like... What's the what's the the interrelation between those disciplines?
2: Well, everyone actually my lab has a bachelor of psychology of science in psychology. So that's my case as well. Yeah. I majored in psychology and then I moved into the field of neuroscience. Okay. Um, I think it overlaps in psychiatry. Kind of that combination mm-hmm. right, right? um yes yeah, so our principal investigator is also based out of the department of psychiatry at mcgill well that makes sense yeah. are there can you
0: is it even possible to get an undergrad in neuroscience because that seems to be the pattern like people go through psychology into neuroscience in their grad school
2: you can definitely i know i went to the university of Waterloo, where they didn't have that possibility but um i know for instance guelph university has undergrad in neuroscience many universities do and it really depends on how much research and um, like presence they have in neuroscience. McGill is one of the best universities for neuroscience. Loads of research coming out nice. in McGill and Neuro. So that's, I mean, I'm excited to be here.
1: <laughs> I mean, we all love the story of Dr. Penfield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, classic. Classic burnt toast that, guy. That Bellini building is amazing. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's
0: great. Um, So we all know We're not big, we're not big cannabis people. I'll, 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 full, full, full tea. I've taken CBD oil because I'm a very anxious person and I sometimes struggle with sleeping and I've tried to take it as a sleep aid, but Mm -hmm. I feel like it does very, very little. Is there big differences between like the THC and the CBD in terms of how they affect you? Like do do you, have you noticed a trend with the people who self report taking lots of, or really high THC end up having worse anxiety or vice versa?
2: That's, um, it's, they're so different that it's hypothesized that they have opposite effects on you. Whoa. Um, wow. Yeah, so um, what we see with THC is that if you take it in low doses, it might make you feel a little bit better when you're high. That doesn't mean it makes you feel better on the long-term, that's very important, but you might feel a little less anxious when you're high. Now, if you take THC in very large doses, you might actually feel a lot more anxious you might have hmm. psychosis and par- paranoia symptoms. So there's, we call that a dose-dependent effect. Dependent effect for mm-hmm. low doses might make you feel less anxious while high doses might make you feel worse. Whoa,
1: this is like hot sauce. <laughs> a little bit of hot sauce, great. Too much hot sauce, I'm in trouble.
0: <laughs> Classic hot sauce comparison. So with medicinal... Cannabis then be like super high in CBD and not so much THC, or it's just really well-regulated? Like how how would it differ from the stuff I get from my neighborhood dealer?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, um, with CBD right now, if you go, for instance, uh, like to buy it in the store, it's very hard to get pure CBD that doesn't have THC. Um, But yes, we do see a lot of that medicinal purposes. They're focused really, they're centered on pure CBD. THC. What I think is really important to know is that it has addictive properties. Mm-hmm. That's something that's a message I really want to drive home. That's a huge mis- misconception that's, mm. that THC isn't harmful. THC has addictive properties. CBD okay. doesn't seem to have those.
0: Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't make you high. It just chills you out. So I guess it's less of a extreme feeling, perhaps, to get to get stuck on.
1: And do they both work on the cannabinoid
2: receptors? I don't know as much about CBD. I know. It's not that I don't know. I know that the research field in itself is a little mm-hmm. bit-
1: Still figuring yeah, they're
2: out. we are still figuring out <laughs> on the mechanisms, but um, but THC definitely works greatly on CB1 receptors.
1: Mm-hmm. And so how far are you along in this research?
2: I've just started one year ago. Okay. Our lab is quite new. So we're still recruiting participants quite actively, but there's been loads. So what we use is called an abstinence paradigm. So we get people to quit cannabis for 28 days. This has been done for, for quite a while now. It's a very effective method to understand the benefits and the risks of quitting cannabis.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And how has researching this affected your feelings towards it? Like with all you've learned about cannabis, has it changed sort of your perceptions of, of what it can and can't do for people?
2: I think it has. Um, I think going into it, I didn't realize just how harmful it can be. It's mm. definitely not a substance I... feel excited to try i think it takes the fun out of it when you start to learn all of the risks and um so i think this has been something that i've come to to find out it's just yeah
0: so what are what are some of those like so obviously being addicted to it is never a a good thing but what are some other sort of harmful effects
2: it can definitely impair your memory that's Mm. a big one that's being researched it can impair your memory because as well, we find a lot of CB1 receptors in the parts of the brain responsible for memory. Um, so that helps us explain why, though so it can impair your memory, as I've shared, it can impair your mood. It can mm-hmm. worsen your symptoms of anxiety. It can worsen your symptoms of depression. There's also been research now looking into um, its association with psychosis. Um, yeah. So that's also a big, a great deal of research on on that field. Yeah, in that field.
0: And does it seem like after the 28 days that it mostly goes away or do you think or, or have you seen that some of these things are sort of permanent after a certain amount of usage
2: well with um when it comes to mood there's been loads of research now looking into that and they have found improvements in different populations hmm. so there's been lots of research specifically in psychiatric populations that's people with different disorders like for instance schizophrenia even depression depression so they've they found improvements in those skills It hasn't been researched yet in just a healthy sample adult sample with no psychiatric disorders other than a cannabis use disorder. That's the gap I'm filling. But we have seen improvements. Yeah.
1: That's fascinating. What does like a typical day look like for you? (laughs) Are you like smoke a (laughs) dude? You're like operating an MRI machine. I picture giant levers like a bulldozer <laughs> or you're like interviewing people in a room.
2: A lot of talking, Yeah. data analysis. Yeah, that's that's pretty That's pretty much it. I don't operate the MRI machine. Um, we have <laughs> MRI techs that, that are trained to do that. So that's really
0: cool. Oh, okay. But I
2: get to learn from them and I get to sit in on those sessions and I, I get to see the brain live on the screen, show up on the machine. That's really cool.
1: Do you ever get to hop in there just for fun? I
2: wish. In the brain. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just get a picture of your brain is something pretty cool frame it yeah frame it this is my brain we
0: do actually i could get any old brain
2: so go ahead <laughs> oh we do do that for our participants yeah oh uh, that's, yeah that's third that's, that's the perk
1: that's the perk i would love that yeah. i'm gonna start smoking marijuana so i could be part of this
0: don't, don't do I'll it. I'll stop for 28 days. Vinny, don't. <laughs> You've stopped for 40 some years so far. Uh, Lean, does there seem to be a, a an effective mode of delivery on sort of how harmful it is or how addictive it is? Like, uh, people who smoke cannabis tend to be way more addicted than people who eat it. Like, is it really just... The amount of drug or dosage? Of delivery matter yeah. yeah
2: it definitely does um so for instance when we look at edibles they can be quite dangerous because um it takes a little bit longer to kick in it has to be huh. your digestive system first so we actually see sometimes overdoses sometimes children confuse those brownies for a treat right. and they end up in the er so that to keep in mind with edibles they take longer to kick in and, and we see overdoses. There's also the idea that multimodal use, so that's mm. seeing it in different ways might actually be harmful mm-hmm. and, and um, it might be a risk to for addiction and other substance use as well. So we see that association where, for instance, teens who use cannabis in different ways might be more likely to, for instance, also have an alcohol use disorder or- Oh, oh the old
1: gateway drug paradigm. <laughs>
2: Would multimodal be
0: like they're doing it two ways at the same time, like they're smoking while they're chewing? At the same time? <laughs> or just like this week, Tuesday, smoked, Wednesday, brownie, Thursday, Chewy. oiled it up. It like
2: <laughs> no, more, more like
0: that, yeah, I think it's like organized, and plans for this. I was going to say like, yeah, someone smoking a pack of cigarettes with 16 nicotine patches would seem like you might have an addiction problem. <laughs> multimodal, too much. <laughs>
1: And so like how how did this kind of catch your
0: eye like what drew you to this yeah, field? Yeah, Lean, why are you researching drugs?
2: <laughs> I um I actually started getting really interested in this field in high school. This is going to sound mm. so weird, but I used to have a notebook that I would um actually like learn about different drugs and I would draw their structure, look at how mm. like what uh, receptors they bound to in the brain, what parts of the brain they activated slash deactivated. And I thought that learning about this was such a wonderful way for me to learn about the brain. And you know, like what mm-hmm. happens when you throw things at the yeah. brain and make things go wrong. And um I really learned a lot about the brain by learning about how things can go wrong. And then parallel to that I also had I really enjoyed advocating for mental health, and mm. mental wellness. This is something I've been doing since high school. And for me, It kind of all came and intersected in this research where I get to really advocate for more informed cannabis use, you know, harm reduction, things like that. I get to advocate for this and at the same time learn about the brain and um solve problems
0: yeah what are some oh man i wish we had this notebook handy what are what is what at least one example of like oh this was so cool when i found out how this affected the brain whoa man is there any that you remember from your fancy notebook like i had no idea ice cream did this to my brain or something (laughs) the chemical compound of ice cream ice cream's doing something (laughs) it does something
2: to me for sure i think one of the the most interesting ones was uh cocaine honestly i think it was Mm-hmm. fascinating the way it works in the brain. The reason it's fascinating in not a great way is that it makes it really hard to develop treatments. It doesn't work like it. it's mm. with opioids. You know, you can use a naloxone an spray and, you know, knock the opioid out of its receptor and the person kind of mm. revives in just minutes, moments. Huh. With cocaine, you can't do that. It's made it really hard for people to develop treatments. Um, but now what they've been doing is injecting people with enzymes that degrade cocaine and getting it to, yeah, degrade in the body and treating cocaine overdoses that way wow. fascinating fields yeah
1: what do, so what does cocaine do to yeah the so brain? why
2: is it yeah what's the cocaine doing it prevents the uh, dopamine from being re uh oh, the right. reuptake of dopamine into the presynaptic cell so basically dopamine ends up accumulating and that causes problems it can cause psychosis paranoia wow. it has effects as well on the heart body temperature lungs and people end up dying from oh seizures as well. people end up dying from those symptoms
0: and so i guess the reason why it's hard to treat is because it's not like a new a new chemical it's just preventing this chemical from going away but we need that chemical so how do you specifically target holding on to a chemical too long in a place right yeah.
2: yeah and if you knock cocaine out of its receptor and replace it with something else it still blocks the channel it we right. can't go back right. in it's still there so that's why it's the treatments that have been ongoing now is just metabolizing it just getting rid of it as quickly mm-hmm. Yeah, fascinating. Wow,
0: very cool. So what was little lean like? Was little lean always fascinated, always had a little, I'm just picturing like you, but like with like pigtails and you're really tiny and you have your little your notebook, notebook
1: yeah, drawing, drawing <laughs> molecules.
0: Yeah. Were you always interested in science in the brain or like how did, how did your, scientific part of your life develop
2: I actually wasn't always interested in science I was definitely very confused growing up not really knowing what my interests were but I was a very creative person and Mm. I love talking (laughs) I love talking and I kind of throughout high school fell in love with mental health advocacy I really mm. did. I really loved doing that. I actually even started a club in grade 12, going from classroom to classroom, trying to get people to know resources, mental health resources. You're not alone. You you can't get help. Mm. And I also really enjoyed my science courses. I really enjoyed my neuroscience units and my bio classes. Yeah. And It really, I think, came together in grade 11, grade 12. I was, I went to school in Ontario, so a little different than Quebec. But in grade 11, grade 12, it came together for me where I realized I could combine these interests and do something Mm. with this, um, which has led me into the field I am today.
1: Amazing. And how do you see this evolving? Like, where can you see yourself down the road?
2: My dream would be to be, uh, to become a physician. So specifically, I'd like to um, work in family medicine, uh, get a certificate in addiction medicine, support people addiction. Mm. That's my dream, ultimately, mm-hmm. to become a physician and to, you know, I get to really support people. I love those human connections and uh, using my knowledge to promote the health of people and, and prevent disorders. So that's really my dream, but I'd also love to teach. So ultimately, mm-hmm. I think the best... Best case scenario is I end up with an MD and a PhD, and I get to do both. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but that's
2: like eight, 10 more years of education. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's not tomorrow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> a long term
0: plan, yeah, yeah, 10 year yeah. plan. Yeah, uh, you've mentioned mental health advocacy quite a few times. Is there any sort of message you'd like to get out there on this platform? Something you'd like to say or a resource you know of for kids who might be listening or anything like that?
2: I would love people to know that they're not alone and that they can get help. One of the hardest things to do when we feel down, when we feel awful, is to talk about it. Mm. We can get really scared. Sometimes just reaching out to a stranger on a crisis text line is an incredible start. The more we talk about it, the easier it gets. So there's... Um, this incredible resource that I love. It's called Resources Around Me from Kids Help Phone. They have an entire database where you plug in your city, you plug in your needs, and it shows up with resources literally around you. So favorite links. I really love people to know about it.
0: And What do you think is like a a main reason that prevents people from, from getting the help that they need? just access and knowing what to do and just general inertia?
2: Yeah, I think definitely knowing who to turn to is a big one. Sometimes you don't have people in your life who you can trust and you don't know who, you know, is available to help. So that's a big reason. But as well, sometimes people might feel ashamed or they might feel like they're a burden to others. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really want to let people know that, you know, if someone, you know, doesn't want to help, it doesn't mean that other people won't. There's people for you out there that are here and ready to help um there are resources that are available you really aren't alone
0: what a beautiful message lean yeah. i mean she does she does so much yeah. She's just uh, discovering stuff about our brains and uh, wanting to help people to help out, people out. That, need that,
1: more people like her yeah brains and people
0: <laughs> um now you have a dog you like to go hiking with let's talk about yeah. this dog what uh, kind of dog we don't know much about dogs but what, what type of dog I know, I know what a dog looks like
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah two ears a nose and a mouth <laughs> Uh, what type of dog what's their name
2: Uh, his name is oscar he's an australian (gasps) shepherd
0: (laughs) very cute and where do you go hiking you're from the general montreal area you have favorite places to hike
2: i'm not in montreal he lives in ontario with my parents now i i just Um. moved out of ontario into quebec but I come visit him all the time. We love to go on just hiking trails around Waterloo. That's, nice. uh, that's, where we, yeah. that's where he lives. That's where I used to live. And yeah, there's lots of little hiking trails and conservation areas that he loves to go to. And
1: who likes hiking more, you or
2: him? Definitely him. I have that. That's <laughs> <part> for me.
0: <laughs> just let him do it. Just hold yeah. on to the leash and yeah. let him do the hiking. He'll probably prefer <laughs> it that way. If he's dragging you. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the thing with dogs. That's amazing. They like work, <laughs> and you like baking. What's what's your favorite thing you've baked recently?
2: Yeah, I make a really great cheesecake. <laughs> oh, oh what cheesecake? It's such... Yeah, it's uh, yeah. from the Bon Appetit test kitchen, the BA test oh, out, yeah. cheesecake recipe. Yeah, yeah.
0: What what flavor? What flavor?
1: Yeah, what's your go to
0: cheesecake?
2: Just a simple vanilla with uh, some uh, some red fruit coulis. So <sighs> just a classic I mean,
0: classic fun. cheesecake. <laughs> Can yeah. you send some through Zoom right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll take my Ozempic to prevent me from eating the entire <laughs> the entire cake. Uh, well, Lean, we're out of time. Yes. Thank you so much for taking time away from interviewing people about their drug so use. So we could interview you. So we could interview you. about your drug use? <laughs> <laughs> you're busted. Surprise, you're busted. Thank you so much for having Thank. me. Thank you. <laughs> good, good luck. Good yeah. luck on your 20 degrees to come. Amazing.
1: Wow, that was amazing. That was so cool. I learned so much.
0: That's the point of the show. I know, baby. I know. I love it every learn. time. I love you are not big time. drug people. No, Have e- I don't think you've taken any, any, any of this alcohol. business. That's about it. Yeah, alcohol and food. That's our, yeah, our drug of choice. choice. I've tried yeah. the CBD oil. Right. I don't know that it's the right thing for me. Or maybe I'm supposed to take it every day a tiny it bit. It sounds like the dosage is important. Yeah I think there's nothing as powerful as my anxiety and <laughs> my un- unwillingness to give up coffee. Right. right. I, I bet I bet that is not helping not, me. A but not a non-factor. There's, there's yeah. nothing that would keep me away
1: from your coffee. Yeah.
0: Uh, but we've learned a lot today. Yeah. We've learned a lot about, about cannabinoids. Um, the big p- almost extinction event of humans. that Sorry happened about that. About yeah. thousand years ago. You, d- you did it? It was me. Okay. We learned about the thing I talked about, Ozempic. Ozempic. Potentially being used for addiction. Yeah. And we learned about cannabinoids, thanks to Lean.
1: This is a a, a really good uh, set of facts.
0: Yeah, jam packed show. Vinny, send them out on our socials. Oh, people want to go on our
1: socials? Well, why don't you go to LRG Pod? That's at LRG Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and YouTube. Oh, yeah, and YouTube. Yeah, you can check out our YouTube channel. I forgot I've been putting up videos there. Uh, We have our science facts. It's uh, just a short little snippet uh, rather than, you're like, ah, this podcast is so long. Well, check out our YouTube. Check out our YouTube. Just look up Learn Real Good Podcast on YouTube and you'll see just the science facts snippets cut out, edited hot and short and fast for your pleasure.
0: (laughs) Yikes. Okay, and what if people want to be a guest, Vinny? Oh, if people
1: want to be a guest, if you or you know somebody who's a STEM student and a grad, why don't you send us an email at learnrealgoodpodcast.gmail.com. learnrealgoodpodcast.gmail.com.
0: <laughs> it's funny, after you've done something... So many times it becomes habit, you know, like riding a bike. But when Uh that happens for words, it's very weird because there's not a lot of places in life where you're repeating Repeating things over and over. And you're very hyper aware of how you pronounce them each (laughs) time. Well, that's it. Thank you, Vinny. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, you, Lee. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time on Learn Real Good. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye.